Well, the reading we've just heard Chris read retells the events of some 3,000 years ago about a nomadic people that were being instructed to construct a tent for their God to reside in. The Jewish people would continue to pitch and pack up this tent for the next 500 years as they travelled through the desert and even as they became more settled in the promised land. But what are we to make of this part of the Bible? Does this part of Israel, Israel's history have anything to do with your life or my life in the 21st century? Or is it completely detached from our modern lives and maybe interesting to historians alone? However, it is surprising just how much the Bi- of the Bible is taken up in the details on the instructions and regulations associated with this tent that we most commonly refer to as the tabernacle. There are 50 chapters in the Old Testament, uh, actually 50 chapters in the whole Bible, um, associated with the tabernacle. There are 13 in Exodus, 18 in Leviticus, 13 in Numbers, 2 in Deuteronomy, and even four in the New Testament book of Hebrews. In comparison, the creation account only takes two chapters of Genesis. Remember, too, that wonderful scene when Jesus was walking along the Emmaus Road, the risen Jesus, walking with those two disciples. When we hear from Luke, when Luke wrote, beginning with Moses, which is the first five books of the Old Testament, and all the prophet he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning him. Therefore, we would be missing out if we too didn't ponder on what we can learn from key principles in the Old Testament, such as the tabernacle. So what do we know about the tabernacle? What was its purpose and what did it look, even look like? Well, I mentioned before that we're most, favorable, most fortunate to have the teachings in the New Testament book of Hebrews that shows us that the tabernacle is a foreshadowing of what God would be doing in his ultimate plan, where Jesus was the sacrifice to enable anyone to be able to approach this holiest of holies through the blood of him. God is the same God then, back in that desert, some 3,000 years ago. And then a thousand years later, he is the same God where Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And 2,000 years later, now in Claygate, he is the same God. So we should not be surprised that looking back now with the knowledge of Christ, that the design and purpose of the tabernacle points clearly to Christ's coming. But maybe I get a a way ahead ahead of myself. So first of all, Let's consider what the main purpose of the tabernacle was according to Exodus. Starting in Exodus 25, we read of God informing Moses, saying, then let them make a sanctuary for me. So the first first purpose of the tabernacle was as a sanctuary, meaning a holy place. Then God immediately adds to Moses, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. Tabernacle means dwelling place. 
This is not, don't think of this as like a short-term dwelling place that we might come in and go out. Rather, think of this as a palace where a monarch resides. And thirdly, we heard about this tabernacle being referred to at the start of our reading today from Chris as the tent of meeting. So this too is a place where God will meet with his people and they can meet with their God. God's instructions to Moses were that wherever they would set up camp, the tabernacle would be at the very center of their camp with the tents of each of the tribe of Israel surrounding the tabernacle. God was the center of everything they had. And as we saw in our reading, so the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and the fire was in the cloud by night. Each of the Israelites would only have to look over to the tent at the center to know that God was there with them. The cloud was there. God was there. Everything was good. But what was the makeup of this tent? Well, here is a drawing of what it might have looked like. And don't worry, it's not an eye test. I don't expect you to read the small, small print. <laughs> so what I thought might be interesting today is imagine, oh gosh, imagine that you are an Israelite in that camp and I'm going to take you on a quick tour of the tabernacle. So as we approach the tabernacle, imagine we're this chap. As we approach it, we can't see into the tabernacle because it is surrounded by this, this sheeting. And these sheetings are, this is 150 feet this way and 45 feet this way. And the sheet is seven and a half feet high. So we can't look over it. We might just about be able to see the tent within it, which is the, the holy tent at the end, but we couldn't see anything else. Above the tent, we would see the cloud at night and the cloud lit up with light at night. The cloud at day and the, and the cloud lit up by light at night. Think of this as a roofless, a roofless marquee with a smaller covered tent at the end. Now, there was only one way into the tabernacle, and this was at the eastern side. This was a small entrance for everybody. So whatever your level in society, whether you were the high priest or the lowliest of low, there's only one way in to the presence of God, through that little gap at that side. After we enter, if we come through here, let's all go through. The first thing we see is this bronze altar. This bronze altar was seven and a half feet wide and four feet deep and covered in bronze. And this would have been one of the busiest areas of the tabernacle, with many animals being sacrificed every day to God. This was a vital part of coming to meet with God. God could then and now only be approached by the basis of sacrifice. Right at the start of our journey into the, into the temple, into the tabernacle, we are reminded of our sin, coming into the presence of God as we need to be cleansed of our sins. Imagine us bringing us our animal to be sacrificed, a bull or a lamb to the, the altar. We are so very aware that we are not worthy to come to God by our own worth. Now, most Israelites, that would be as far as that we would go. However, if you were a priest, you would be allowed to continue 
and wash in that water there, ready to go into the tent. Next slide. So if we zoom in on the tent at this end, as we go through the tent, we see on our left-hand side a lampstand, a lampstand that would always be lit, and it would be the job as the priest to make sure it constantly lights the God of light. And then on the right-hand side, we see the table with the 12 loaves of bread on the, the table of the presence. And then at the front, just before this veil, we see an altar, an altar which allows incense to be burned, the sweetest of incense. Then, the other side of this veil, protected, is the holiest of holies, a place where only the high priest could go in. This, in, the, in here, is the Ark of the Covenant, covered in gold. And inside the Ark of the Covenant is the law that God gave to Moses, the Ten Commandments, and the other laws as well. Now, this box represented the character of God. And one key element that God instructed God to do on that box, you can just about see it on the top, is to cover it with a gold, uh, like a, a gold plate. And this gold plate is known as the mercy seat. The law is covered by the mercy seat. Isn't that beautiful? There's the law and then there's mercy. God's characteristic is represented by these two parts. His holiness represented by the law and his love by the mercy seat. And he is both. God even says in Exodus 25, there above the mercy seat, between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the, of the covenant law, I will meet with you. So above the mercy seat, God will meet with us. Through God's mercy, Israelites could come to him by repeated sacrifice of animals and washing. Through God's mercy, he accepted people into his presence. But the Holy of Holies was so holy, right at the end, that God could, that only a high priest could go there, and that only once a year. So that was the tabernacle then. What about it now? What about 3,000 years later, after Christ, have been and changed everything? Is all this redundant? Let me put my stick down. Is all this redundant? Well, the answer in one sense is yes. And in another sense, no. Because Jesus didn't remove or contradict any of the laws given to Moses. Rather, and this is key, he fulfilled it. In this last section of my talk, let's look closer at that. How did the coming of Jesus fulfill the purpose of the tabernacle? Well, Hebrews 9 is really helpful here. First of all, this earthly tabernacle was made by human hands and was highly limited in the way people could access God. But in Jesus' death and resurrection, the tabernacle is now a heavenly tabernacle, not hidden behind a linen barrier, but open to all to come to him. With Jesus, our high priest, he is the high priest who, unlike the high priest of the earthly tabernacle, would not die and was not sinful. The priests of the earthly tabernacle would age and also were fallible, sinful, 
And so there were rituals each and every time in the sacrifice of an animal and the washing for these priests to seek forgiveness for their sins prior to coming before God. But Jesus, however, is perfect. And so through his precious blood, given once, he enters the presence of God once and for all, accepted and also through the mercy shown in our acceptance of his mercy, his sacrifice for us again, made just once, we, all our sins are forgiven. We too are shown mercy and are considered righteous through Jesus' perfection and his sacrifice. In a way, Jesus is now the fulfillment of that mercy seat. He is the access to God he enables us to be able to, to come before God, being made clean by his mercy. His blood covers over our sin and our breaking of God's laws. John would write in his first letter, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Fundamentally, there is no need for sacrifice anymore, as Jesus has done everything for us. He just takes away the need completely for animal sacrifice by being the ultimate sacrifice where all our sins are covered once and for all by Jesus' amazing love for each one of us. Next, Jesus totally fulfilled the access requirements to the Holy of Holies. Remember at Jesus' death when he said it was finished, a really important thing happened in the temple which is really the permanent tabernacle now in Jerusalem. We read in Luke, it was now about noon and the darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he said this, he breathed his last the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Ripped in two completely. And the holiest of holies is now through Jesus dying for you and me, open to us all. No longer a barrier. All of us can come to him. Not once a year, but at any time and at all times. Knowing that we are washed clean with Jesus' blood. Therefore, the Hebrew writer in chapter 10, encourages his readers and us today when he wrote, and listen to this, this is beautiful. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from the guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Isn't that beautiful? The Bible is one. We have one God who loved his people right from the start and will love us till the very end. The earthly tabernacle was a foretaste of God's grace. It needed man's diligent obedience. But Jesus has changed everything forever. Every one of God's characteristics that is shown in the tabernacle 
is completely fulfilled in the living Jesus. If you want to know what God is like, then look on the living Lord Jesus. If you want to meet Jesus, meet him at the cross where we can kneel just as we are and confess that he is Lord and he will forgive us and make us whole and lift us up and we can know God intimately and have purpose and joy with and in him. In a moment, we will take communion together to celebrate this life-changing truth that Jesus' blood is the mercy seat. And that just enables us to be able to just run to him and be hugged by him, fully accepted children of his. Praise God. Amen.